A very good morning to all of you. I want to greet you in the name of the Lord, the name that is most high, that is above all other names. We thank God for this opportunity to be together today. We have a day of thanksgiving. <clears throat> and what we must understand is <clears throat> that God gave himself. Most of all, you know, this is being um, uh, illustrated by the tables that we have in front of us where we are partaking from the Holy Communion. You see, God gives himself. He gives himself over and over and over again. We may never know how much God is involved in our daily affairs. The Bible tells us that uh, the angels are being sent to minister to those who inherit salvation. So we really don't have a clue of how many times God intervenes in our lives. When we come to the edge, when we cannot make it, definitely God is with us. He's there. He's intervening for us before our Father. And we need to just, you know, take time to give thanks to him. You know, giving thanks should first and foremost be something that comes out of our mouth. Many times we think thanksgiving is something that comes out of our pocket. And yes, of course, that can be a sign of thanks and uh, adoration and, and uh, you know, being grateful for all that God is doing. But I believe God wants to hear your voice. God wants to hear you speak. God wants you to give him glory. You know, uh, God will not, never force us to do that because God wants to come, you know, see the, the, the thanksgiving come from a, from a willing heart. Just like he says, even an offering shall come from a willing heart. It's never being forced. It's something that uh, God is just, you know, looking forward to see come from our innermost being. And when we consider the nature of our God, when we consider the, the, the nature of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, then we should come to a point where we just can't keep silence. You know, at one time, the Pharisees were, were coming to Jesus and says, tell your, your disciples to be quiet. And uh, Jesus said, if these are quiet, then the stones will shout out. And so, you know, don't be a stone, uh, but, uh, you know, if you, are not, if you are not going to speak, if you are not going to give praise to God, maybe a stone will substitute you. So let, let not a stone substitute your praise and your worship to the living God. So today we really want to take time to bring glory, to bring thanksgiving, to bring our adoration to God for all that he has done in our lives, whether we know it or whether we do not know it. In fact, what we do not know that God has done in our life is far beyond than what we know. Okay, yes, we know he has saved us from our sin, he has uh, redeemed us, he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and he keeps on guiding us through his spirit. These are realities, these are wonderful facts. But there are things that God is doing on a daily basis that we really don't have a clue about, that we don't know. 
You know, there's no bell in your house that is ringing when God, uh, the Father, listens to his son Jesus Christ praying for you or for me. We just don't know. But it's happening. Because this is what the Bible tells us, that, you know, Jesus is interceding for all of us. So today, I really want to take you into a time of, uh, you know, observing what God is saying about his nature, about who he is. And, you know, also, we should recognize what our response should be. So my subject today, or my theme today is, watch God bent down. Okay, and I mean this literally, watch God bent down. As we are going along, you will find out what this is all about. Let me read from the book of Psalms 113, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. Wonderful, isn't it? This is how many of the Psalms are expressing the praise and the adoration and the thanksgiving to the living God. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the God, the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raised the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Isaiah 45 verse 12. I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you for this great opportunity for us to come before you, Lord, to lift your name, to give you praise and honor and adoration. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for all that you have done in our life and that you continue to do. Lord, today, as we are observing your word, Help us, Lord, to understand the majestic involvement that you have in each and every one of our lives. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that we can be children of the Most High God. Lord, that we can be people of your pasture. To you be the glory and the honor. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Maybe you have noticed in this uh, passage of scripture from the book of Psalms 113, there are a few things here that are actually absolutely amazing. You know, they are absolutely mind-boggling. 
The, the Bible tells us here in verse 4, the Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who sits enthroned on high? Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Now the word stoop is probably not a word that we use every day. Actually, what it means uh, in modern English is uh, to bend down, okay? And I, I want to take a bit of time to make you, you know, see a picture that uh, the, the Word of God is drawing for us. You see, many times God is called the Most High. So in other words, above Him there is nothing else. In fact, when we read you know, the, the great experience that God, uh, you know, gave to Abraham. We find out that, you know, Abraham addressed God as the most high. The Bible tells us that Abraham had gone to help uh, deliver his uh, nephew Lot when he was uh, taken captive by certain kings. And uh, as he was following those kings and defeated them, you know, he, he managed to to get all the spoils back, all the, uh, the things that were taken away, he brought it back. And uh, the Bible tells us, after Abraham returned from defeating Kedeloma, the king of, uh, the king, kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shafeh, that is the king's valley. Okay, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, he was priest, of God most high. And he blessed Abraham, saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high. You know, that was a revelation that God gave to Abraham, that God is the most high. So the, the, the hand of God that was with Abraham to deliver Lot, his nephew, and all the things that they had taken, uh, he, he realized it was actually the most high God that was on his side. So blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. You see, Abraham had an encounter with the living God. There were other kings around Abraham who were trying to lead him into one thing or the other, especially the king of Sodom, who said, okay, uh, you can get this, give me that. Uh, but uh, Abraham recognized it was not by the power of muscles, the power of energy of this world, but it was by the power of God that he was able to gain the victory. And he was able to see God most high. Melchizedek is a king, is a priest of Salem. Salem means peace. Okay, and uh, the Bible tells us that Melchizedek is without beginning and without an end. Now, at the time when Melchizedek came as the priest of God, there were no priests. Because the priesthood only started in the days of Moses. So Abraham lived far before that. Okay. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob went to 
went to Egypt and uh, for 400 years the, the people of Israel were in Egypt and only after that when finally God brought them out of Egypt were all these different things being established including the priesthood. So there were no priests at that, at that particular time and yet there was Melchizedek, the priest of Salem, the prince of peace without a beginning and without an end. And we must understand that this was the Christ appearing to Abraham at that particular time, giving Abraham an insight of the, the amazing nature of God, the most high, the most high. So above him there is nothing else. Now when you consider the scriptures that we have just been reading in the book of Psalm 113, it's, it's a, an amazing uh, word that we are given here. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. Yes, we understand that. Nations are still with us today. And God is the one who rules all the nations. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. And then it says he is the one who sits enthroned on high. He stoops down or he bends down to look on the heavens and the earth. Now, think about that for a moment. Most of us, we have a picture that, you know, this is earth where we are standing. Then there is heaven there. And God has a throne in heaven. And uh, earth is his footstool. And of course, these are realities that we are reading in scripture. But then, you know, we are seeing things In, in, in small pieces, we are not seeing the whole picture. Here we are given a bigger picture. And the Bible tells us that God is enthroned on high. He is in the highest. And many times, you know, even when the, the people of Israel were, were shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, he is the one who is the most high. He is in the highest. Even when Jesus was born, the angels came and he spoke about the one who is from on high, the highest. Now, why do I emphasize that so much? I want you to understand, you know, that God is not living in a created domain. He doesn't need a created domain because he's God. He has been from everlasting to everlasting. The Bible tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So in other words, there is a, there is a plurality of, of heavens, more than one. And of course we could look at the sky and we say this is heaven and many times we call it that, you know, but it's the sky, you know, it's just the atmospheric heaven if you like. And if you look during the day, you only see the blue sky, you really don't see much more. But if you look up at night, you see that behind the clouds, behind the blue sky, there is so much more to be seen, so much more that talks about the greatness of God. You know, from the visible, it goes deep into the invisible. And even the modern, the new modern uh, telescopes that have been put up into the, in orbit in the, in the universe, you know, they can only see up to a certain point. They cannot see the end of this universe. So if you look at this sky, okay, it is absolutely magnific magnificent. 
absolutely amazing. So wonderful, so great. You know, the sky is bringing us clouds that bring us rain. The sky is taking care of the shade when we require it. The sky is taking care of, of all our food, of all our food production. Okay? Then, of course, there is another sky. Uh, let me just read you from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 2. This is Paul who writes to the Corinthians and says, he says, I know a man in Christ. Actually, Paul is talking about himself, but he, he doesn't want to boast. He doesn't want to put himself in front. So he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Okay, if there is a third heaven, then there should be a first and a second, isn't it? So Paul says, I was, you know, that man who is, you know, Paul himself, was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. Hey, did you know that there is a place called paradise, not on earth, but somewhere in a different realm called third heaven? Okay. And don't forget, third, uh, paradise was actually not the dwelling place of God. Paradise was the dwelling place of people, isn't it? It was the place that God gave to um, Adam and Eve. And of course, if they would not have sinned, it was going to be our uh, domain today. But of course, unfortunately, paradise did not remain because of the disobedience of mankind. So we see here there is a plurality of heaven. At least we know of three. Maybe there are four, maybe there are five, maybe there are seven, maybe there are more than that. We don't know. But we know that God has created the heavens and the earth. And one day, the heavens and the earth will be done away with and God will recreate them. He will make new heavens and a new earth. Now, these are things that we have difficulties to understand. You know, uh, Jesus said, when he came uh, in the book of uh, John, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, I have spoken to you of earthly things, but you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Now, understand that the Bible has been given to us not just, not just to speak of earthly things, but of heavenly things. We need to have a dimension that is greater than the earthly things. Unfortunately, when he came, even the earthly things that Jesus was declaring were rejected by so many people. And he says, how will you be able to even capture the heavenly things? And we know that we, we understand by faith. You know, not by logic, but by faith. We must understand the greatness of our gods. So the most high God is above everything else, far above creation. You know, God is the uncreated one. He has been from eternity and he will be into eternity. So he will always and ever be the same. And 
you know, we have good evidence that there are at least three heavens. Now, we don't know exactly uh, how some of the things are to be, in, you know, put into this place. Because when God says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, the question is, which of the three heavens of those which are revealed to us? Most probably the third heaven. Okay. But then, you know, if you look at somebody who is having uh, rulership, you know, whether it's a king or queen or whether it's a president, you know, they have got an office, they have got a throne, if you like, some, a place where they are ruling from, where they are making decrees from. But that is not the place where they, where they live, okay? They have their living quarters, maybe a little further, or maybe somewhere else altogether. So in other words, God has a throne in heaven, but he is not limited to the throne. Actually, he doesn't need a heaven, okay? He is far beyond anything that we can ever even imagine. The Bible tells us that before the creation of this world, God did a lot of things, okay? He, 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 he chose us, he designed us, he designed this world. Now, the world was not there. The question would be, where was God then? Well, God was in his own sphere. He was in the, in the everlasting sphere where only God can live. He is the most high and throned above all the nations and throned above all of creation. Truly, truly amazing. And so let us understand that God really wants us to, to recognize his greatness in a, in a way that we usually don't think about. Okay, so the Bible tells us here that God who is enthroned and he sits enthroned on high is the one who bends down to look at the heavens and the earth. So in other words, if he, if he bends down to look and he sees the heavens down below him, that means he's above the heavens. Amen? And that's exactly what we are reading in the book of, of uh, First um, Kings chapter 8, verse 26. This is a prayer of, of uh, Solomon when he, was, uh, had, when he had finished the, the, the temple of God and, you know, uh, God had sent his, his glory to, to this temple and it was amazing. And then he prayed and says, Now, O God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David, my father, Okay, and then he said, but will God really live on earth? Good question, isn't it? So Solomon realized, I, I built this temple, but can God really live on earth? Of course not. He may give us a presence, yes, but God is the most high. He does not live on earth, and yet he has sent his son to earth. And the Bible tells us here why even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. And I think it's a good realization when we come to understand that God is not somebody we can put in a box, somebody we can manipulate. It's, it's, it's actually very sad that many people think, especially in the charismatic circles, you know, in many of the Pentecostal circles, people think they can manipulate God, they can push God to do something which they want. Actually, that's impossible. 
No human being can ever manipulate God. You know, we are only manipulating each other. We are only trying to, uh, you know, play to the gallery and make people think that we are greater than somebody else, you know, and we, we, are, we are making such statements, this is the man of God, you know, as if he is a God. No, we are all sons of the living God, meant to be, okay? We are all members of the family of God, and, and none of us should be lifted higher and, or, or put down in any way, because God is God who wants us to join him in eternity. Creation exists for the very reason because God wanted to build a family. Okay? And that's an amazing thought. You know, just, just that alone, you know, should, should, should make you thankful forever. Because God thought of you. God created you. God designed you. You know, uh, before we came into being, who would know who we are? Who would know how we think? Who would know how we, how we act, how we feel? You know, all of these things nobody knew. And yet God designed us even before the foundation of the world. Even before the first human being came into, into uh, reality, into, into the Garden of Eden, you know, we were all already existent in the heart of God, in the mind of God, in the, in the plans of God, all of us. Isn't that amazing? And God wanted to bring us into his family. That's why he created this world. You know, one, one would say, okay, why did he not immediately just take us where he was? Well, he could have done that, but then, you know, God had to give us the choice to choose whether we walk with him or whether we reject him. God has freedom. God has the freedom of choice. That is who he is. And because he wanted us to be like him, he had to give us that freedom as well. Whether we use it uh, responsibly or whether we are going to squander it, that was our own decision. And so God created all of these realities in which we live today. So God wants us to learn about the heavenly things. Okay, we should not just look at the earthly things and even doubt about the earthly things. Okay, by faith we can understand, not by logic. A lot of people want to understand by logic and then they say, no, but science says this and no, this is that and what have you. You know, listen, science will never be able to explain creation. For hundreds of years, people are trying to to get to the ground of creation, to understand what creation is all about. And if anything, they have come up with a lot of, you know, ideas, some of them very interesting. But later on, they proved to be futile. They proved to be overtaken by events because other discoveries were made. So we must understand that what we know cannot be cannot be giving us a foundation of, of, our, of our relationship with God. It is faith which is the relationship to our God. Okay? And so heavenly things can only be understood by faith, not by human logic. So God did not need a creation for himself. And listen, this is very important. I want to underline that fact. God did not need a creation for himself because he already lived from eternity, 
and who knows what eternity is, you know, the, 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 the word eternity is something that, you know, we, 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 we learn, yes, this means without a beginning, without an end, but we really have no clue what eternity is all about. And God lived in eternity, from eternity to eternity, and again, you know, this makes things even more complicated, more complex. So God need, didn't need a creation for himself. He was comfortable without one. But he created it in order to build us, the family of the living God. He gave us this domain called earth in order to give us the freedom that we are walking with God, that we have a choice to walk with God, but also God allowed us that we could learn, and of course, if we, we are, we have, if we are learning, that means you can fail, okay? That's why even before God created mankind, God had already appointed the Savior, okay? The cross has been from eternity, past. And we must understand that God has been on the throne forever. And, and he is not surprised when something happens on earth because he knew what he created, who he created. He knew our hearts. I mean, he designed our hearts. But he designed them in such a way that he gives us the freedom to choose our future, to choose our ways, to choose our steps. You see, when you look at animals, Animals have got what you call instincts, okay? One could call it an operation system, okay? That operation system works. It works in, a, in an amazing way. You know, but whatever a, a, a animal exists on the, on the face of the earth, each animal, you know, follows its own way of, of, uh, of living, okay? Bats, for instance, they are, they are able to circumvent, you know, all, the, all the, uh, uh, the hindrances because they are able to fly without seeing, okay? They are using waves in order to know where they can fly and where they cannot, okay? They are interesting animals, okay? Interesting, one, one would call birds or mammals. We don't know exactly what we should call them, but anyway, you know, this is, this is true. Or if you look at all the mammals, you know, the, the lions, the leopards, if you look at the, all the different uh, creatures that are even roaming our, our uh, wilderness in Zambia, each and every one of these uh, creatures has got an operating system. And that's truly, truly amazing. Okay? Now, when it comes to human beings, <clears throat> You know, I mean, even God at one time says, why is it that, you know, the animals, they follow their, their ways of, 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 of doing things, but my people, they are not. Because, you know, God has not given us a closed operating system. He has given us an open operating system where God himself wants to be our ultimate guide where he has made himself available to lead us into all truths. And that's exactly what Jesus says when he was on earth, that I will send you the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truths. 
Thank God. Isn't that powerful? So we, we need to realize that God is fully in control of all things. And he has given us a, a, wonderful, a wonderful creation in which we can grow up, in which we can learn to love God, in which we can love our neighbor. And that's what we should. Okay? This is why this world is here. This world is not here to fight each other. This world is not here to, to, to make a maximum of, of, of money and stash it away in corners somewhere and, and you know, be corrupt and try to do the things that, that are not right. No, this world is here so that we learn to love the Lord our God and our neighbor as ourselves. This is the reason why we are here. Praise the Lord, isn't it? So we, we should realize God has a plan. Whatever he is doing, God has a plan in every little thing. So creation requires each and, our, each and every one of us to make a choice. Okay? And I think many of, or most of us, we made a choice to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life, to follow him. And that's good. But it shouldn't end with salvation. Actually, we should continue walking with him every single day of our life. Actually, we should learn to praise God, to, to give him thanks, to give him praise, to give him honor. Okay? Like I said in the beginning, God wants to hear our voice. Because our voice is, is one of the most wonderful gifts that God has given to us. And our voice should make, not make a fire that puts the forest into flames, but our voice should be bringing healing, should bring encouragement, should bring comfort. And we know words have, have got power, they can do both. And yet God wants us to use our voice to do good. So what we see here is while God is above all of creation, while God is the most high, while God is enough in himself, he doesn't need anything and anybody, okay? But he is yet very much interested in every one of us. The Bible says the Lord is exalted over all the nations, okay? He, he made the nations. He's the one who brought them into being. And all nations belong to God and are created for a specific purpose. Now, I want you to, to catch that, okay? Every nation reflects a unique trait of God, just like every individual of a nation. We, we must understand that no one person can reflect the nature of God, okay? That's why even in ministry, there are different designations. There are people who are apostles. There are people who are prophets. There are people who are teachers. There are people who, people who are evangelists, people who are pastors. None of us can, can be everything. You know, we, we, we should be beware of, of that man who made a business card, printed a business card. Actually, he was here, right here, and he gave me his business card, and he wrote on his business card, um, you know, X, Y, Z, so-and-so, and he wrote there, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. <laughs> he was everything. 
And when I looked at him, he says, wow, you must be Jesus. <laughs> because only Jesus can be everything. No human being can be everything. And, and you know, this is why, you know, God, who loves variety so much, has given each nation to carry a certain trait of God. That's why we should all be thankful to God to be who we are. Okay? We, we don't need to be feeling inferior, uh, you know, because another nation is bigger or another nation has got more money or another nation has got this or the other. That's not, not, not important whatsoever. Every nation is reflecting a certain trait of God. That's how God has created us. And God is enthroned over the nations. Okay? This is, this is powerful. So God is one, and therein lies his power, his strength, his integrity. He's one. Okay? There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit, and they're one. Okay? And that's the strength. And if we, as the nations of God, could be one, can you imagine what heaven on earth could already be reality? Okay? If we would not fight each other, kill each other, try to steal from each other, you know, if we could be one, even in a family, when a family is one, amazing things can happen. If a, if a congregation is one, amazing things can happen. And that's why, you know, we need to always make sure that we are one in Christ. Because when we are one, we are reflecting the nature of God. That's when, you know, these values of power, of strength, of integrity will manifest when we are together, when we are one. That's why we must not backbite each other. Okay? We must be one. And, you know, if we really come close to each other, like I wrote yesterday in my message, uh, when we are like the Good Samaritan and we kneel down, attending to the need of the person who is in trouble, then we will see the wounds of that person. We will be able to attend to that person. Actually, his, his pain will become our pain. You wouldn't speak negatively about such a person because you are so closely involved. You know, it's very easy to walk by and say, ah, this guy, you know, who knows what he did? You know, who knows what, what made him to, to, to fall amongst the robbers? But when you are kneeling down, when you are seeing the needs, when you are seeing the agony, then you will not speak like that, but you will speak words of comfort, words of healing. You will, you will take oil and wine and clean the wound and bandage the wound and make sure that this person who is half dead will continue living. So the church must not kill its wounded, but it must bind up the wounds of those who are wounded. So we need to learn to be one like our God is one. Okay? Because in the oneness, there is strength. In the oneness, God will establish himself in marvelous and amazing ways. And so let us understand the wonderful work 
that God is doing in our lives. In the book of Psalms, chapter 2, you know, Psalms 2 is an amazing psalm, and I, I, I really advise you, read this psalm time and time again, because it gives us so much insight. Psalms chapter 2 says in verse 1, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Okay, instead of being one, they are fighting each other. Now he is exalted. <clears throat> Sorry, that was a wrong, a wrong uh, chapter. Let us, the, 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 verse 2 says, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break the chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Okay, isn't that what we are seeing all over the world? People do, do not want to submit themselves under the leadership of God. Thank God we are here and we have chosen to walk with God. We have chosen to call him not only Savior, but we call him Lord. Amen? And if you call him Lord, you are not just somebody who is, who is nodding your head, but you are actually actively submitting to his ways, to his leadership, to his guidance. And that's very important, you know. So we, we, we are uh, very, very fortunate because we know God as a loving God. We are not of those <clears throat> who fight him. And yet, this is what we are seeing in our world. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stands and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And the anointed one is Christ. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. You know, they feel the rule of God is uh, somehow uh, restricting them. Which is very foolish because God is the one who has given us freedom. He is the one who created us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Imagine, the one who is enthroned on high, he has a good time laughing. Okay, humor doesn't come from human beings, it comes from God. Okay, the first one who ever laughed was God himself. Okay, so God laughs. Why does he laugh? Well, you know, in fact, he doesn't even stop laughing uh, or, or stop at laughing, he, he actually scoffs at the people who are uh, behaving like they can, they can call things in their own ways. So the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king in Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Praise God, you know. So there's a conversation in God's domain, okay. The father says, you know, today you are my son. It looks like we have some problems here. Okay, are you still hearing me? Never mind. Okay, light is coming back. Light is shining in the darkness. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Anyway, let it come or go. We are, we are still 
kept by the grace of God and by his love. So what we must understand is that God has had a plan from the very beginning. And the plan that we are, we are seeing here is, is very clear. You know, the, the book of uh, Psalms 2 is very clear, showing us the plan of our God. Okay? Of course, I'm not surprised that uh, today uh, uh, the powers of darkness are causing havoc because we are here to praise the Lord. We are here to give him thanks. We are here to, you know, recognize the almighty God, the most high. And we, we cannot be stopped by anything that the devil is doing. So whether there is uh, light or there is no light, we carry on because we have the light of God in our hearts. Amen? So scripture tells us that the father said to the son, you are my son, today I've become your father. In other words, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they accepted to take certain roles upon themselves in order to administer the creation they had brought into being or they were about to bring into being, whatever the case may have been. Okay? Then the Father says to the Son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Praise God. So today it may look like you know, the kings of the earth are conspiring against God. It looks like, you know, there are nations going in war against other nations. And there's a reality. We see it around us. We see terrible things happening in our world. You know, we hear of shootings and, and, and killings and, and, and all kinds of things that are happening daily. And yet, you know, we don't realize that this is not the end. This is just, you know, the process in which we are in order to see God's rule being established. So the father says to the son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And let me tell you, we are already the first fruits of the prayer of Jesus who is asking for the nations. Okay, we are of all nations, no matter where you go in the, on the face of the earth, you will find people who serve the Lord. In some nations there are more, in some nations there are less, in some nations they are persecuted, but they are still there. In some nations you may think they are not there because they are not, they're not uh, gathering in the open like we can be able to do here. And of course that should give us a reason for thanksgiving, that we can do that. But then, let's understand... God is still in control. And in every nation, there is a first fruit. Okay? In every nation, there is that group of people that reflects the nature of our God. And thank God, you know, we are unique. Okay? We are unique as a nation, Zambia. We are unique as this particular congregation, Go Center, the Go Center family. We are unique. Okay? There's no other one like this. It doesn't, I'm not saying we are better or we are worse. No, we are saying we are unique because we are carrying a certain kind of, 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 of mark of God. You know, we are carrying a certain, a certain reflection of the nature of God that not, cannot be carried by anybody else. 
And you as an individual, I as an individual, we are unique before God. So praise God. Things are really wonderful. And so the Bible continues saying, you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Okay, some people don't understand that, you know. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. And, be, and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So in other words, what God is saying, that all nations are his nations. He has created them, and he is going to sift them, okay? Shake them. That's why the Bible tells us that even before Jesus will come, there will be a sifting in our world, and, and we see some of this beginning to happen, okay? Some shaking will be happening. Because, you know, God is separating that which has value from that which has no value. Okay? Okay? The, 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 the wheat has to be separated from the chaff. Like I said the other day, when you go uh, shopping uh, and you come home, you are not just going to eat everything which you bought. No, you separate the packaging from the, from the, from the goods in the packaging. Because, I mean... Who would eat uh, the cotton box? Even so, there is nice photos outside, and the thing looks very uh, appeasing and very nice, but it's, it's really not something for consumption. So you separate the two things, and that's exactly what God tells us here. So everything that is not going to, uh, to, to be useful in the kingdom of God, God will cast it aside. God will just put it back to the soil. You know, it will be smashed like, like stones, and they will be falling into pieces and they will go back to where they came from. And that's why this should be an encouragement for us, or even a warning that we give God our, our praise and our thanks, okay? Therefore, you kings, be wise. Okay, you may say, I'm not a king, and yet God says we are kings and priests. Okay, so you king, be wise. You priest, be wise. You know, learn to live by the ways of God, not by your own ways, but by the ways of God. And when we do so, we, we see, as we serve the Lord with fear and trembling, we rejoice at the same time. Okay? Kiss the sun. And that's what we should do. Today, I want to encourage you to kiss the sun, okay? You know, kissing is a, a, one of the most intimate, uh, you know, reality between two people. And, and we should be able to have that intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we should kiss the sun, amen? We should give him thanks, praise, honor. And even if you have come here not planning to do anything, keeping your mouth shut, I want to encourage you, open your mouth to praise the Lord. You know, if you don't have a song or a poem, you can have a testimony. I want to encourage you, you know, kiss the sun. Speak about 
that relationship that you have with him. You know, let people know that you have got something that reflects the nature of God in your life. So let's not forget, Jesus humbled himself. He came into this world. The Bible says God bent down. Amen? God bent down. And I want you to see that, that God bent down. You know, he could have said, I don't need to worry about what is happening down there because he had all the glory, all the honor, all the angels were already worshiping him. You know, all the wonderful things that you can not even imagine, you know, that we can see only in small, small revelations and glimpses. All that was already there. Why would God have need to be worried about somebody down there who is in trouble? But the Bible says, God bent down, looking at the heavens and looking at the earth. The one who is enthroned on high, the one who is the most, most high, the one who cannot be superseded in any way, he is the one who also came to humble himself. And the Bible tells us in the book of Philippians very clearly that he humbled himself. Jesus came to this world. He took off his divine garment and he humbled himself to the cross and he died at that cross because of us. As we have been reading in the beginning from Psalm 113 in verse 7 or verse 6, the Bible says, he stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes, with the princes of their people. So in other words, God makes all of us princes. Okay? Maybe you were not born a prince, but God makes you a prince. God makes you a ruler. God makes you a child of the living God. God makes you the kind of person that he loves and cares for. So Jesus came, humbling himself, being obedient to the cross. He became the sacrifice and sin offering, and then God lifts him up. Jesus did not only come down, but he was also lifted up. And the first lifting up was not a nice lifting up, by the way. Okay? The Bible tells us that Jesus was lifted up like, like the snake in the, in the Old Testament times. Okay, the Bible says everybody who, who looked at the snake when there was a, a plague in the camp of the Israelites, everyone who was able to look up to the snake was able to, to be healed. And Jesus lifted, Jesus, I mean God the Father lifted Jesus up to the cross so that everyone who looks to the cross will be healed, will be delivered, will be a child of the living God. This is indeed wonderful and powerful. John chapter 3, verse 12. I want to read that whole passage of Scripture. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Okay, so we don't have a clue what heaven is all about. 
Maybe you can look at the clouds, the first atmospheric heaven, but you don't know the second heaven. You don't know the third heaven. So the one who knows is the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of God must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this part we know very well, but we usually don't read the other verses. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Okay? As we have been reading in Psalms, he's the one who raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap, and he seats them with princes. We were in sin, far away, separated from the living God, but God sent his son to break that bondage and bring us back to be with himself. That was his desire. That's what he is doing. So Jesus was lifted up to the cross. Then he was brought down again into the grave. And when he rose again, just shortly after he came back from the grave, God lifted him, gave him a name that is above all names, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Enthroned on high. Praise God. Enthroned on high. Philippians chapter 2. This is very powerful. So the Bible says God exalted Jesus to the highest place, giving him the name above all names, the ultimate name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And that is to the Father's glory. Praise God, to the Father's glory. Isn't that powerful? So, thank God. God has decided to stoop down, to bend down. And I want you to, to realize that. You are who you are today because God has bent down. You have received grace and mercy because God has bent down. You have received new life in Christ because God has bent down. You have received mercy and grace and you still receive it on a daily basis because God is bending down. He is not doing his own business. He's interested in you and interested in me. He's not indifferent to our need. When we are in the dust, when we are on the ash heap, Jesus comes our way. Isn't that powerful? And you know, what better response could we give him but to give him thanks, give him praise, give him worship? Because he's worthy of all that. 
okay? He is worthy to receive our praise and our honor. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, we read, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. He is the Christ. Christ means the anointed one. So he is our Lord, and he is the anointed one who gives of his anointing to each and every one of us. Now the way is free, that we can be seated as princes around the table of the Lord. And when we come to the table of the Lord, we don't come as strangers. We don't come, you know, standing in a distance, but we are able to come and participate of the table of the Lord. Like, like Psalm 23 says, you know, you have prepared a table before me. In the face of my enemies, all the enemies are just looking from a distance. They are not able to disturb. They are not able to interfere. Because now we have a permanent place at the Father's table. And David said, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Praise the Lord. We don't know the future. We don't know tomorrow or next week or two years from now. But whatever happens, his goodness, his love will be with us every single day of our life. And we will be able to live in the house of the Lord forever. So God has bent down to lift us up, to seat us around the table of the Lord. And today, this is just, you know, a representation. Those tables that we have today are just a representation of the, of the almighty, everlasting table of God on which we are going to be seated one day as the family of God. At that time, creation as it is today will not be there anymore. It will be completely different. It will be a new heaven. It will be new heavens, actually, and a new earth. And we will be able to join God in ways that we cannot fully understand. He is the one who made creation. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand, marked out, marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in, in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselors? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Well, he is God. He doesn't need any advice. He doesn't need any counselor. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, being one, have been able to bring all things into being. 
and thank God we are able to join the family of God, being seated at the table of the Lord forever, being in his house forever, being the house of God actually forever. So we thank God. And today, really, I want to encourage you. You know, even if you have nothing in your pocket, even if you have not come with a song or a poem or a hymn or whatever, but open your mouth. Give God praise. You know, give a testimony. Let people know what God has done for you. Even if it's just very short, even if it's three sentences or one sentence, it doesn't matter. But let your voice be heard. Do you know that nobody, nobody in the whole world from the beginning of time even to all the future has ever had the same voice like yours. This voice is unique. I mean, there are billions of people on the earth right now. If you count all of them who have been there before, I don't know how many billions of people we have. And yet, you are unique. No one ever had your fingerprint. No one ever had your voice. Okay? Your voice is unique. I'm sure when you hear somebody's voice who is familiar to you, you don't need to see that person. You know, oh, this is so-and-so. Okay? This is my brother. This is my sister. This is my mother. This is my father. You know their voices. They are so unique. You know, today, uh, I, can still, I can still hear the voice of my parents so they are not alive. Okay? Sometimes I remember certain things they have said to me. Okay? And I can really hear uh, their voice reverberating. And there is no other voice I've ever heard who even comes close to my father's voice, to my mother's voice. Okay? Amazing. So your voice is unique. And you know what? God wants to hear your voice. He loves your voice. He has made that voice outstanding unique, second to none, okay? So many times we are looking down on, on, on what we have. You know, we look at the mirror and say, I would have loved to be like that one or like that one. And we try to do some bit of manipulation to make ourselves look different, okay? But actually, God is the one who created you like that. I'm not saying you should not try to make yourself look good and you know, and even <clears throat> train your voice. Do you know that your voice can be trained so that you can sing in ways that you cannot have any idea about? Those of us who have never had voice training in our lives, I'm, God, I'm sure God will train our voices so that we are able to sing in the heavenly choirs. Amen? So, but why don't you start using your voice? Why don't you start, you know, bringing out what God is saying it's so wonderful so today we have declared this day as a day of thanksgiving and i hope i've given you a few reasons why you know we should really give god thanks isn't it of course there are very a variety of ways how we can give god thanks you can give god thanks with your hands with your feet with your mouth with your tongue. You can also do it with your goods, with your money. 
This is all nice and good. But don't just let money do the job alone. No, use your voice. Amen? Will you do that? We'll have a bit of opportunity just now to, to actually, uh, you know, be able to, to do what is required. So I want to ask, first of all, that we are going to come to the table of the Lord. And as we are going to share the communion, remember again, God has bent down. Why do we have these emblems on the table of the Lord? Because God has bent down. He sent his one and only son to lift us from the ash heap, to bring us out of the dust and seat us as princes, as rulers around the table of the Lord. And today, you know, participate, partake of the table of the Lord as a prince of God, as a ruler of God, as somebody who is called, designed, prepared to reflect the nature of God. I think we all know that Jesus gave us this wonderful opportunity and we have read these scriptures many, many times that we find in the book of um, Luke chapter 22 or in the scriptures of uh, First Corinthians. And again today, you know, just for a moment, I, I want to just read two or three verses just to remind us about the obvious, about the things that we already know. And yet, it's good to be reminded time and time again. First Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, can you take notice? He had given thanks. He was breaking bread, and actually prophetically he was breaking the bread, which meant he was allowing his own body to be broken. When he was breaking bread, he said, this is my body, for which, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, that after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which means now this blood of Jesus was to be shed. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the, death, the, the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that's why I want to say to you, let us eat the blood and drink, I mean drink the blood and eat the bread, you know, these emblems that are 
representing the blood and the body of Christ in a worthy manner. Because if it is true that they bring weakness to those who are taking part of it in an unworthy manner, it is also true that it will be bringing strength, that it will bring blessings, that it will bring, you know, great blessings when we partake in a worthy manner. And that's what we want to do right now. So I want to ask those who come and serve at the table, please come so that we share the communion together. We are on the table of our Father and we are sharing the wonderful things that God has prepared for us.